Welcome to the podcast arm of the Redeemed Christian Church of God, Peculiar People's Parish, based in Regina, Canada. Our mandate is pursuing His purpose, pronouncing His power, and proclaiming His praise. You can subscribe to our podcast channel today, so you never miss an episode of our podcasts. Be blessed by this teaching. Maybe three Fridays at this Sunday. That's three days now. Um, we trust God that what he started, he will not complete today. He will only continue today. Yeah. Before we go into the word of God, we'll just honor God because the Bible says we we'll give honor to whom honor is due. Actually, the Bible says those who labor in word and doctrine, he said, regard them highly. It didn't just say regard them. He says, regard them highly for their work's sake. Because of what they do, he said, regard them very highly. And so we want to honor God for his servant in the house, Pastor Leko and his wonderful wife. God bless you. Thank you for what you're doing for God's people. Amen. Hallelujah. And all our leaders and our pastors, God bless you. And please put your hands together for yourself if you are here. And you are a child of God. Amen. Hallelujah. So we are at the second service and um, God will do incredible things in the next few minutes. Hallelujah. And I went to school to study a course. Uh, I think that was the last course I took at Oxford University. And the title of that course is Neuropsychology. And the reason I did that course, Neuropsychology, is because when I read the things about the course, the, about the module, the major thing about the course is that it targeted at finding out how humans make decisions. And that's the purpose of that course. It has to do with decision making, how humans make decisions. And I was very interested in the course, uh, though my tenure was very tight, I decided to take the course because as a minister, uh, as somebody who is involved in ministry and as somebody who is involved in patterning people to make certain decisions, I wanted to find out what is it that controls the decision-making process of a man? Because I prayed to people and I wanted to give your heart to the Lord. I prayed to people I wanted to be committed to God. I prayed to men and I wanted to be revived, to be on fire for God. So it's very essential for me to understand, if possible, how do people make decisions? Well, we finished that entire course and they kept on telling us about the prefrontal cortex. I, I was even tired of hearing the prefrontal cortex because every time lecture come, prefrontal cortex, prefrontal cortex, I was tired of hearing it. You know, but if I had even just asked the Holy Spirit, how exactly are decisions made? He would have just quickly told me without having to go through that entire course and hear the lecturer constantly repeat the prefrontal cortex because when psychology look at it, that is where your decisions are formed. There's so many drama inside of that. But bottom line is that your prefrontal cortex has a lot to do with how you make decisions. Now, this desire to find out how people make decisions in life. I wasn't the only one hungry to know that. The devil also wanted to find out how men make decisions. It's very important for him to understand that because he wants every man that is born to make a decision against the Lord. And so he studied man. He studied every single thing a man had created and he hit a jackpot. He found out how men 
make decisions. He found out that in the creation system and the creation plan of God, that there's something that God did. There's something that God put inside everyone that he created that is a living being. And that thing that he created is something that is autonomous, meaning that God does not, once God has given you that, he's put that in creation, he doesn't alter it, he doesn't change it, he leaves it with the man. So it's kind of like an empty thing. It's not, it's autonomous, it's on his own. He operates on his own. So the devil hits a big jackpot. And that jackpot has given him the biggest success of his entire ministry. And that is what he studied. That is what he found out. And that is what he is using to his advantage. And that is why he's winning so many battles. He used it to win the battle over sin. He used it to win the battle over sickness and disease. Whatever it is he's winning, it is because he understands the makeup, how men make decisions. And he found out that God gave every single living being something called the free will. And this free will, God will not interfere with the man's free will. God will allow men to make their choice. He found out that the will of God is not automatic, meaning... That God makes a will, God has a will, does not mean it will happen. Most people, whenever they talk, they'll say, mm, this is the will of God. I beg to differ. Many things that happen in your life are definitely not the will of God. That God has willed something does not mean it will happen. Second Peter chapter 3, I believe verse 9, is a beautiful example of that. The Bible tells us, in Second Peter chapter 3, it tells us that it is not the will of God that any man should perish at all. It is never God's will. In fact, the Bible tells us that even when the sinner perishes, God is not happy with the death of a sinner. Even when Osama bin Laden perished and went to hell, God was not happy. He said, I don't delight in the perishing of a sinner. So question, if it is not the will of God for any man to perish, are men perishing today and going to hellfire? Is that the will of God? So how come... Though God has willed that all men be saved and repent, why is it that men are still perishing? It is because he gives you the will and you decide what you do with the will. You can choose to obey God. You can choose to disobey God. Now, the devil understanding that began to use it to his advantage. He began to know how to tilt the will of man against God. Because studying the will of man, he recognized that there are three wills. And I, too, studying the Bible, studying, you know, people found out that there are three wills and they are all listed in the scripture. The first type of will is what is called the self-will. So there are people that are self-willed. What does that mean? They do things without recourse to God. They just make a decision. A lot of people are like that. They just make decisions without asking God. They don't care what God thinks. They just go ahead and do what they want to do. Meanwhile, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs 3, 4, 5, and 6, it was saying, it said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. He said, lean not on your own understanding. Meaning what? You have an understanding. He said, but don't lean on it. He said, lean not on your own understanding. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge God and then he will direct your path. Most people do not acknowledge God. They don't tell God what they want to do. They just decide, this is what I want to do. And they go ahead and do that thing. So mankind is used to that. That's one type of will, the self-will. The second type of will is what is called the stubborn will. 
And that is when people know exactly what God wants them to do, but they don't do what God wants them to do. So they are stubborn against the will of God. They are deliberately doing it. And then when that happens to you, when you have a stubborn will, you notice the struggle on your inside. Have you ever had that struggle before? God says, do this. You know this is the right thing to do. However, you're doing a different thing. You have that struggle on your inside. But then the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, that man will not strive with, God will not strive with man forever. So when you struggle, struggle, struggle with God, it gets to a point he leaves you alone. And many times when he leaves people alone, they think it is God's approval. If you struggle for long, he will leave you alone because he has told you many times. And so people say, oh, you know, initially I didn't have peace, but all of a sudden I have peace. No, you didn't have peace. God just stopped struggling with you. You better know what peace is. So, and then when they get into trouble, they'll say, but I had peace. And so I married this man. Why is he now beating me? Or I did, took the decision. Why am I now in trouble? He didn't have peace. God just got tired of arguing with you. It's in the Bible, Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. So that is a stubborn will. It is that will that God, that you choose not to obey God. And then it gets to a point where the voice of God becomes very silent because you have shut it down. So you don't hear God anymore. So you now have a strong and a stubborn will. And these two are very dangerous. You know, the thing is that God will not interfere with your will. He will only tell you. He will try to influence your will, do all that. But he will never go and force you. If God could force you to change your mind, you know what he would have done? From the day you um, come into this world, immediately he will make you give your heart to the Lord. So he doesn't do that. He allows you. He gives you the choice and he allows you. And then there's a third will. And that is the surrendered will. When a man surrenders to the Lord and says, Lord, I don't like this. I obviously don't want to talk to this girl anymore. I don't want to forgive her because of what she has done. She's extremely annoying. But because you have said I should love, I am going to go ahead and love irrespective. That is the surrendered will. And it comes when a man is crucified. When a man is crucified, when a man is dead, when a man says, not my will, but your will be done, that is a surrendered will. And that is where God wants us to be, to live in a surrendered state, where even when you don't like it, you see do it irrespective. Now, these are the three wills. And like I explained to them in the first service, we all function in these three wills at every point in time. The only thing is that the proportion is different. There are people who their surrender is 10%. And then um, their stubborn will is maybe like 80%. And then 10% is self-will. You know, it just differs in proportion differently. So the more you yield to the surrendered will, that is the more you look like Christ. And that is the more you become a friend of God. Any man that has a stubborn will can never be the friend of God. You can sing it. You can be in church. But as far as God is concerned, you are not his friend. He said, you are my friends. That's in John. I think it's chapter 13. He said, you are my friends if you do what I tell you. And so you see the model of Jesus. What he did, the Bible tells us in John chapter 6, he says, I came down from heaven not to do my own will. I came to do the will of the one that sent me. Meaning what? Jesus had his own will. He didn't say he didn't have his will. He had his own will. But he chose to do the will of the one that sent him. So the big question is this. What is that thing that makes people fight God's will? Even when they know what it is. What is that thing that makes people move from being self-willed, instead of them to be, have a surrendered will, they are either self-willed or they are stubborn-willed. 
They read the word of God. They see what the word of God is saying. Apart from that, you have the Holy Spirit reminding you of the will of God, but then you still choose deliberately to go against the will of God day after day after day after day after day. Why do people live like that? The answer is simple. It is in the makeup of man. It's a common denominator. It is the thing that guides our decision-making process. And that thing is called value. It is what you place value on. That is what tilts your decision. Nobody will invest in something he has not seen value in at all. You won't. Man is designed like that. Every time they invest their time, their resources, or whatever it is, it is because they have seen value in that particular thing. You can never invest your time in something you've not seen value in. If you're coming to church, it's because you've seen some sort of value in it. If you choose to sleep, you have seen value in it. If you choose to exercise 300 times a day, you have seen value in it. So man is designed to tilt in the direction of value. And the moment the devil found out, he set up a strategy against mankind using the value system. You are where you are because of your value system. You are as committed to God because of your value system. Do you know that there's one person in the Bible who God said, I hate? You already know his name. His name is Esau. It's not that God hated Esau as a person. There's something, what God was trying to say is, I hate this mannerism, this manner of people. Did you remember in Genesis 25 when uh, a, re, the mother, Rebecca, mother of Isaac, um, Jacob, and Esau, when she went to talk to God and he said, two manner of people and your womb. He didn't say two people. He said two manner of people. He said, that is, there is a type of person that is like Esau. There is a manner of person like Esau and there is a manner of person like Jacob. So what God hated is the manner of Esau. Who are men like Esau? They are men whose value system is upside down. They are men who place value on things that are against God. The Bible called them profane men. What does it mean to be profane? A profane man is a person who does not value spiritual things. That man is profane. And then the Bible talks to us about profanity. God hates profanity. When a man doesn't understand how to place the right value, he's going to make terrible choices in life. And the devil understands this. So this is his game plan. What his sole purpose, his sole concentration, he doesn't have two jobs, only one job. His sole job is to make everybody not place value on the right things. So what he concentrates on is making sure every other thing in this life appears more valuable than God. And he has succeeded in doing it to so many people. So what he does is he makes you feel the pursuit of your career is more important than your pursuit of God. So if you watch TV, they highlight the glories of being a doctor. They highlight the glories of being a president. They highlight the glories of every other thing. The world is designed to make the pursuit of God look like something that is not so valuable. So we are raising a generation of Esau's, a generation of men who are profane. If I say now, today... I know the time is, let me say one or whatever time we're meant to go. I say, we're going to stay here for the next four hours. Do you know everybody here will grumble? Do you know why? 
They haven't seen value in God. They haven't seen value in spending time with God. You've seen more value in that thing you want to go and do after this service. You've seen more value in spending time with your friends. You've seen more value in spending time watching TV. You've seen more value in everything else except that one that really counts. How do I know where are you investing your time? Where are you investing your finance? Where are you investing? Some people, the moment they pay their tithe, they are okay with it. You know why? You've paid that 10%. You feel you've tried. You don't know value at all. If you understand the value, see, the biggest company in this world is the kingdom of God. It is one that pays in time and in eternity. It doesn't, no company pays more. No company is more. What? You can't compare God's company to another. The best employer of labor is God. He says he gives his people double honor. One scripture in John chapter 4, he says this kingdom, eh? he said he pays good wages. They pay good wages in this kingdom. So the thing is that what the devil does is he makes sure that he projects the value of everything else. He heightens it more than the value of God. Watch television. Look at the lives of people. This is all that he's doing. So that you don't follow God. Because he knows that your decision-making process is based on value. The Bible says there are men who despise God. There are men who are like Esau. They don't know how to place value on spiritual things. And so we can no longer raise matters. You can't be talking about matters today now. What produces a matter? Why is somebody willing to lay down his life for the kingdom? Why would somebody stand and they'll say, deny Jesus or we'll shoot you? And that person will say, start shooting because I'm not going to deny you. It's too much of a lie. How can I say I don't know God? If you come to Nigeria, the northern part of Nigeria, that happens normally. They arrest you and they tell you, deny Jesus. Why is it that some Christians are saying, better shoot me? There's one pastor, uh, Boko Haram, the terrorist group in Nigeria. They caught him. This was caught, captured on camera. They caught him. And they say, deny Jesus or open fire. He said, I'm sorry, I cannot deny Jesus. They opened the, the whatever and they fired and the bullet actually left, shattered his face. His whole jaw shattered till today. He talks with one side of his mouth. Why did that man take that kind of decision? He saw value where you have not seen value. He took that decision. There's a young lady in Nigeria that her name is um, Leah. That's her name. She was arrested by Boko Haram, 1617. And they told her, deny Jesus. Just become a Muslim. Just become a Muslim and we'll let you go. She said, I can't. She's 16. You are a young girl. Most likely a virgin, small girl like that. And they put you in the camp of horrible looking men. And they tell you to deny Jesus. Just be a Muslim. And she said, I can't do your worst. What has that girl seen? What did Leah see that most of us can't see? It is value in the kingdom. There's something she has seen that is beyond this life. It is that same thing that Apostle Paul saw. That the moment he saw it, he abandoned his government job. It is that same thing that Moses saw. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11. He said Moses saw the invisible. And therefore, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He saw something. He saw that the reproach of Christ. Who does that? 
who can say the reproach of Christ is of greater value than to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? He saw value. Everybody that cannot see it is profane. The extent you go with God is the extent you see value in this thing. If you can't see the value, you can't pursue it. Because our decisions are guided by value. Why don't you pray? Value, not discipline. Like I was saying them before, I said, I used to think the reason we don't pray is because we are not disciplined. The reason we don't have a consistent prayer life, a consistent study life, the reason we don't evangelize, the reason we don't go out of our way, with, I used to think it's discipline and laziness. It's none of those things. It is value. You don't know. The reason you are not winning souls, value. You don't know the value of becoming a soul winner. So you don't do it. And when you do it and the person doesn't come to church, you say, this man is not serious. Uh -uh. It is not that he's not serious. It is that you have not seen value in this thing. The moment you see value in the kingdom, it will change your pursuits. So this is what the devil does. From the day you came into this life, there's an attack he did. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. I think it would be a good thing for us to read that scripture. Second Corinthians 4, 4. Okay, so this is what he does the moment you are born. He says, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. So what he does is the moment you are born, he makes sure he blinds you. You can see. He said, let the light of the glorious gospel penetrate. In other words, there is the glory of God. He doesn't want you to see it. He doesn't want to see the benefit. And he's not leaving it to chance. He's not waiting to maybe you're 17 that he will blind you. No. The moment you are born, the first thing he targets is blindness. Every human being, he gives you blindness so that you can't see the value in the kingdom. And he begins to highlight the value in every other thing. And so you start pursuing it. Look at how we raise our children. You know the kind of education we give them when we feel we are properly prepared them is when we give them an education, an all Western education, blah, 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 all of those things. And we think we are prepared our children. No, you have not prepared your children. You have prepared them to be sitting ducks. Do you know why? If you give your children or yourself any education and you don't give them spiritual education, you have set them up for failure. You're not going to Harvard, so I can talk. You see, you and your Harvard. Hmm? If you like, you have Harvard, you have Oxford, you have all those schools. I mean, three of the Ivy League schools. You see all of you with all those degrees. Hmm? If you don't have spiritual education, Satan will take both you and all your degrees, put it in a basket. A witch that has developed her spiritual side will take a decision and say you will never prosper and there's nothing you can do about it with all your degrees. Nothing. Somebody will take a decision and say you won't pass 40 years and there is nothing you can do. Why? That witch has developed the spiritual side. You have not developed the spiritual side. You have only developed the intellectual side. You have developed your, your social side. Meanwhile, your spiritual man is weak. Yet you are a Christian. This is what he does. But have you seen men who follow Satan? They follow with everything they have. Because you can't stay on the fence. Yet Christians are staying on the fence. You don't know the value of the kingdom. 
That's why a man wake up and say, you, with your degree. So because if I didn't go to school now, they'll say it's because she didn't go to school. So I'm going there and I'm telling you now, if that is all you have equipped people with, because there's made us believe that education is what equips a man. And it does to an extent. But don't you know, these educated men, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 17 that there's somebody called Babylon who controls the head of kings. Now read your Bible. Revelation 17, Revelation 18. He said, the woman that sits over many waters and sits over the kings, meaning what? A man that has grown spiritually is more educated than one that went to school. Haven't you seen people? Look at, look at universities. Look at professors. Hmm? They go, they teach you how to make money hmm? in school, university, isn't it? Including the Harvard professors. When they finish teaching you, you will leave the school, go and make the money, but they are any less than you. How? How? <laughs> Life is beyond one plus one, it's equal to two. So what this man concentrates on doing is to keep the church blind. If you read what Jesus told them in Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, when he was talking about, uh, about lukewarmness, he said, the reason you are lukewarm is because you feel you have need of nothing. Why do they feel they have need of nothing? They think they've gotten everything that they need. So Jesus said, you, the reason you are lukewarm, give me, let me give you advice. The solution to lukewarmness, he said, I serve. You need to see. You are not seeing. You don't know that you are a blind man. The devil specializes in keeping men blind. They cannot see. And that is why God raised Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8. Let's see why God raised Apostle Paul. Anointed him with so much anointing. Gave him so much revelation. He said unto me. We'll look at in King James and then one more translation. So it, it, it throws light on what we're doing. He said unto me who am least than who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given to me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Go on, read the next verse. Or project next verse. Okay. That's verse 9. He said, and to make all men do what? See. So Paul's assignment is to make men see. See what? What were they blinded to? He said to make all men see what's the fellowship of the mystery, which was from the beginning. In other words, Paul's assignment, the reason he was raised is to help men see. Acts 26 verse 17. Let's see what it is that people, uh, God raised Paul to make men see. He wasn't obviously talking about their blindness or whatever in the physical. Okay. So, Acts 26, 17, actually this place, Paul was talking to us about his mission, his vision, what God, what God raised him to do. And so he began, the thing began actually more earlier than this verse 15, but it's fine with Satan 17. He said, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I'm sending you. Is Jesus talking here. He said, I'm going to deliver you from the hand of the Gentiles and I'm going to send you back to the Gentiles. Why? Verse 18. He says, to open their eyes. What eyes is he talking about? Is he talking about their physical eyes? No. He said to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. Meaning what? Before a man can be turned from the power of Satan to the power of God, that job cannot be done until you first open his eyes. 
His eyes has to first of all see. If his eyes cannot see, he's going to continue walking in darkness. He's going to continue to be under the control of Satan. He's going to continue to follow Satan. So he said the first assignment, Apostle Paul, I want you to open their eyes. Help men see the benefits in the kingdom. Help men see the value in the kingdom. Help men see what Moses saw. Help men see what Abraham saw. What did Abraham see? What is it? How come the Bible says to us in the book of Acts chapter 4, in the book of James as well, he said, when they flowed the disciples, you know what they said? They, 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 they were joyful. They counted it worthy. They were excited that they counted worthy to be flogged for Jesus. Why did the Bible tell us in the book of James? He said, count it all joy when you go through diverse troubles for the name of Jesus. Why did Jesus tell us in the book of Matthew chapter 5? He said, great. He said, rejoice when men persecute you. He said, rejoice. How can you tell me to rejoice? When I'm persecuted. He said, for great is your reward. What Jesus was trying to say is, there's value in this thing. The more you suffer for the kingdom, the more you give up for the kingdom, the more you sacrifice for the kingdom, great is your reward. Why are people not willing to sacrifice value? You have not seen value in this thing. That is what Moses was praying in that Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. He prayed a prayer. Can we take a look at that scripture? Exodus chapter 33. We'll start from verse 18. Just so that we are fast. Go down to verse 18. Because we know that story. He said, oh Lord, show me your glory. Most people don't understand that the glory of God is more than one type of glory of God. For instance, in uh, Psalm 19, the Bible talks about a type of glory. He said, the heavens declare your glory. That's not what Moses is asking for here. The Bible talks about the Shekinah glory. It is a cloud of God's glory. That's different. I was trying to explain to him in the first service that when you read English text or you read another language text, the advantage of knowing two languages is this. I use an example of something in Yoruba. I don't know if I should use that. Okay, let me, in the, in, first of all, I use Yoruba example. So now let me use Igbo. There is a word in Igbo called AKWA. Who knows what I've just said? Aqua. Who knows what I said? Did you pick something? Listen carefully. What did I say? A-K-W-A. What is that? Do you get what's happening? Who understands what's happening? Okay, let's try the exercise again. There's a word in Igbo called A-K-W-A. So you see the confusion. It is one word but they are pronouncing it in different ways. What that means is when you read the Bible in Igbo, right, or any text in Igbo, you're reading AKWA. You have to understand the sentence to know which of the AKWA they are talking about. Is it aqua egg? Or is it aqua cry? Or is it aqua cloth? Or is it bed? Uh, yeah, I heard that, but bed, uh, uh, are you sure that's Igbo for bed? Because I'm hearing that for the first time. Okay. So let's assume you are, you are in the presence of God. You are not lying. So, aqua is what? Bed. 
So when you read it, you're trying to understand which one are they talking about. And it happens a lot. In English, it is called glory, 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 glory. But they're all referring to seven different expressions of the glory of God. The one in Exodus 19 is not the same one they're asking about in Exodus 33. It's not the same one they are talking about in 1 Samuel when they said, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord had departed. He wasn't talking about the cloud. He was talking about, Kabod means the weight of God's glory. Shekinah is talking about the cloud. The one in um, Psalm 19 talking about the splendor of God. But there's one Moses was asking. He knew he needed to pray a prayer because he was about to make a new journey with God. Just like the way you are. Every time there's a new phase of a journey with God. Because God had performed a particular miracle for Moses before. God opened the eyes of Moses when he was in Egypt. And he saw something. He saw the stupidity of being a pharaoh. It's only God that can do that job. He saw the stupidity and the futility of being a pharaoh in this life. Of developing your political career without developing your spiritual career. He saw the stupidity of a man who understands his purpose in the natural but does not know his purpose in the spiritual. He saw the stupidity of a man who is getting to 40, 50, is about to die and that man has not understood why he was called. He saw that we are all going to stand before Jesus at the judgment seat and they are going to ask you, what did you do with your life? Judgment seat of Christ, we are all going to stand. He saw it. God helped him. He saw the value in God and saw the stupidity in being a pharaoh. I used to think, sir, that the people who would see the value in God are people that are dying. I was wrong. I thought that everybody on their deathbed would give their lives to Christ. Isn't that what we all think? Until I met a man early this year. He's a Christian. His son is born again. His son is one of my mentees. And his father was dying. They actually told him, oh God, you are dying. No? You don't have up to 24 hours to live. The son went to preach to the father about Jesus. He said, leave that thing. He said, it doesn't matter. He said, what do you mean? I said, go back, tell your father, you have nothing to lose. You are going to die. What do you have to lose? Surrendering to Jesus. He said, leave, it doesn't matter. <laughs> He came and told me. I said, go back and tell him the danger. He said, there is another world ahead of you. And it is eternity. He said, leave that thing. Don't worry. You know, this might cross over to eternity without a relationship with Jesus. I hate thinking about it because, oh my God. That man's eyes were closed in the last minute. He didn't see the value in the kingdom. God help Moses see it. God help Moses to see. You are calling, answering yourself, son of Pharaoh's daughter. You are calling yourself prime minister. You know, the queen has of England has gone to outside this world. <laughs> I didn't say nothing. Now, that moment her body was separated from her spirit. She immediately appeared before God, because everybody would do that, to receive temporal judgment. When you stand there, first of all, there's a queue. Hmm? They don't care if you are queen. You will stand on the line. They don't care if you are prime minister. You stand on the line. They don't care how rich you are. In that world, the things we value here, they don't care. It means nothing to them. Don't you know the streets are made of gold? Your streets are made of quota. Their streets are made of gold. So let me explain to you how we function. 
Many of us are gathering quota. And we are ignoring God, gathering quota. When the angel look at all, they're like, are these people not right at all? Because God turns their street. So when she stands before Jesus, he's going to ask her, okay, thank God you've lived for how long? 96 years. Yeah, great. So what about the assignment I gave you? If she's fortunate, and that was the assignment he gave her, she'll receive well done and enter heaven. If she stands before Jesus, and that was not the assignment, what do you think will happen? Her uncle made a decision. The throne or follow love, is it not? Why did he make that decision? He saw value in love, not on the throne. Many of us are not seeing value in God. Can you imagine giving up the throne for a woman? Moses gave up the throne for God. If a man can give up the throne for a woman, you, they are telling you give up the throne for your work with God. You are saying no. You know that that her uncle will judge many of us. God will say a man gave up the throne for love. You are not ready to give up your throne for my pursuit. So God helped Moses to see value in God. So he abandoned everything, went to the wilderness for 40 years because he saw there's value in God. Even though he was heir apparent. It's just like telling Joe Biden's whatever, you are the heir apparent to the throne. The Egyptian civilization then was a major civilization, like the highest. One man left it because the Bible said he saw the invisible. So in this Exodus 33 verse 18, Moses was asking for that same thing again. What was he praying? He was praying, oh God, show me your glory. Which glory is Moses asking for here? He wasn't asking for Shekinah. He wasn't asking for Kabod. He wasn't asking for any of those ones. He was asking, Lord, show me the value in you. Show me your goodness. Show me the benefit. Show me all those wonderful things, the relationship with you. How do I know this is what Moses was asking? Simple. His answer, God's answer, verse 19. That will tell you what Moses was actually asking for. And he said, he there being God, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I'll proclaim my name and all that. So what God was telling him was in response to what Moses was asking. In English, we call it glory, glory, glory. But Moses, when he was speaking in their language, he didn't use the word glory. He was saying, show me the benefits of a walk with you. Just like you were saying when you were writing up the first prayer. Moses saw a benefit in this um, Exodus 33 verse 1. When God was saying, I will send my angels but my presence will not go with you. Moses saw the value of the presence of God. Because one time he went to the mountain in Exodus 24. He went to the mountain and the presence of God was on him. The Bible says his face so shone, men couldn't look at him. So he knew the power of the presence of God. He knew my nation is too small. We are going to fight against nations that are mightier than us. Angels can't do it. We have to go with your presence. You have to go with us. If not, don't defeat us. He saw what the presence of God was doing to nations. The Bible said there are some nations to come. The Bible said God will send the fear of Israel ahead of time. Do you know the value of the presence of God is so more that even till today, nations can't defeat Israel. Old Testament covenants. 
He said, you can't fight them. See how tiny they are. See how tiny they are. You can't. Nations will fight you. In fact, the Bible says, if you are friends with Israel, then your nation is good. If you hate Israel, God will hate you. That's the value of the presence of God. So Moses knew. We are too tiny. Moses saw small him. He will go and, who are you to talk to Pharaoh? Moses knew. Ah, ah, this God is with me. And I point to the skies. And what? It turns into darkness. How can I abandon God? This same thing that was happening in Moses' life. An ordinary man looked at the sea. Hey, and said, God said, look at him, why are you crying to me? I've given you power. He said, Moses, why are you crying to me? Moses, divide the sea. And Moses lifted his hand. And what? The sea divided. Guess what? That thing is normal in Israel. It wasn't a big deal with Moses. How do I know? <laughs> Elijah was going to his destination for the chariots to carry him up. He got to the sea, Jordan. He parted it and walked through. Huh? Elijah said, what? Is this part of the covenant? So he went. So this thing is normal in the kingdom. Dividing sea. I don't know why we preachers is the one of most that we're highlighting. Dividing sea has been occurring in the kingdom since. I read your Bible. So Elijah parted the sea. Elisha on his own journey parted the same sea. Moses parted the sea. Joshua parted the sea. How do I know when they got to the sea? Joshua's son was even worse. How do I know? When they got to the sea, God told them, he said, when you get to River Jordan, he said, enter the sea. When you enter, they part. They tell what part. In Moses' on they waited for the sea to part. In Joshua's on they entered, the thing parted. It's God being with you. There's something that he does. The value of the presence of God. The value of a walk with God. Moses saw it. There was one battle that Joshua was fighting. Huh? He was fighting with the Assyrians. The Bible said God fought with them. The Bible said God stayed in heaven. And God began to throw hailstone. See it in Joshua chapter 10. He began to throw hailstone. And Joshua was fighting. You know, but the Bible said the hailstone killed more Assyrians than the one that Joshua fought. Hey, value of the presence of God. There is value in this thing. People will sit down and plan for you. That same thing they plan for you will be their destruction. It will be your lifting. Did you just see your brother Daniel? Did you see your brother Daniel? They planned against him. They said nobody should pray again in the name of God. Make sure you pray in the name of whatever king, uh, what's his name? King Darius. No, then it was Darius. This um, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel said, I know the value of prayer. What was that edict about? They knew. Satan knows the value of prayer. Hmm? So he wanted to get Daniel to stop praying because the prince of Persia needed to function. But the prayer of Daniel was disturbing the demonic powers. So they wanted Daniel to stop praying. Daniel knew the power of prayer. He knew that the king had a dream. It is through prayer that Daniel was able to decipher the dream. He knew. And you people want me to stop praying. Now, there's something here. Daniel was praying, but the Bible tells us you go and open the window towards Jerusalem and be praying. Why? There's something that Solomon had prayed many years ago. That whenever your people face this place and they pray, oh God, answer them. And so, Daniel had read 
heard it and he knew there's something about a man walking with God that lifts up his voice in prayer. And Solomon had prayed and made a covenant with God. And so Daniel rested on that covenant. So when they told him, the Bible says, as his custom was, he went and opened the window. He was reminding God, remember what you said many years ago. They planned for him the value of a walk with God. You have not yet seen it. Daniel saw it. And so he kept praying. Guess what? He was praying. There was nothing the king could do because he had been signed. So the king's hands were tied. They threw Daniel into the lion's den. The Bible says the hidden king hmm, fasted all night. Excuse me. He's supposed to be your enemy. He's supposed to be your boss. This is supposed to be the king. He should have no business with you. But the Bible says the king fasted all night for Daniel. Early in the morning, the Bible said the king ran to the tomb and said, Daniel, has your God delivered you? Since when the king started caring about their subject, it was from the time men began to walk with God. The value of the prayer, walk with God. You don't know what it means. Look at what he did to Daniel. Look at what he did to Shadrach. Look at what he did to Paul. These guys, Peter, James, and John. Do you know it got to a time in the Bible where if it's not just in the Bible, it's you. This is your body. Hmm? Do you know that it has a capacity to pass through metal? It's in your Bible. I'm not making it up. Acts chapter 5. If you read that story, I don't have the time. But Acts 5, write it down to study it. But let me tell you what happened. Do you know when they arrested Peter and John and threw them in jail? Do you, if you read the story, you find out that the Bible says the angel of the Lord came, unlocked the chain from the hand of um, Peter and all of that, and told them to go and preach. So the Bible said they passed the first gate. Peter thought he was sleeping. Passed the first gate, passed the second gate, went to go and preach. In the morning, they came to the prison to come and bring them out of jail so they can stand trial. What did the Bible say? The Bible said they found the locks securely locked. Hmm? So how did Peter pass through the wall? How did he pass through? This, your body, has the capacity to pass through metal if you expose it to the right temperature of prayer. So because these men were used to praying, when they arrested them, as their custom was, as they kept praying, their body was changing. As they kept praying, the capacity of body was changing. How do I know? The Bible tells us, as Jesus prayed, his body was transfigured. As Jesus prayed, something was happening to his body. There's something about the Holy Ghost in the life of a man. When you allow the Holy Ghost to rise, you can't believe what can come out of you. You can't. So they pass through metal. The value of a walk with God. You haven't seen it. You only see the value of your job, wherever it is you are working. They've cheated you. They've cheated. The best your job can give you is dollars. The best it can give you is a position. When you, of course, Satan will just get up and decide, you know what? I don't like your face. You're going. And he'll just influence some people and they'll sit down again and remove you from that place. That's if he doesn't plague you with sickness and finish you and whatever. And then when you stand before God, you have nothing to show for it. The value of the presence of God. These men, how do you know men who have seen value? They give up everything to get it. The ex 
extent you have given up is the extent you have seen the value. The greatest prayer you can pray, the best thing God can do for a living being is to show him the value in this thing. That is what Moses was praying. He was saying, oh God, show me your glory. I'm about to go out again. I am the pastor. I am about to lead these people. We are going to come against giants. We are going to come against all sorts of things. Lord, I want to see. Show me the value of a walk with you. Because I can't give up. Listen, you will give up if you don't know the value in the kingdom. There are certain things that will happen to you. You begin to question God. You don't know the value. The best thing you can pray. Oh God, show me the value. Show me what David saw. Show me what Daniel saw. Show me what this man saw. Why is it that these people were ready to give up everything? The Bible tells us darkness is coming. Cross darkness is coming. How do you plan to survive? I know what you think about darkness. The man you'll be dealing with is called the Antichrist. A very smart fellow. Extremely intelligent man. When he starts operating, you won't know. If he could bring down Adam and Eve. I want you to understand who Adam and Eve were. They were looking at God face to face. Talking to God. There was no internet to disturb them. 247, they were having fellowship with God. These were men that were not fallen men. Yet, Satan brought them down. How? He understood how men make decisions. So what he did was, he began to make them see value in the apple. Watch his conversation. Did God say, you shouldn't do this? He said, but if you eat this thing, your eyes will be open. He was not lying because there was a level of blindness that they had. He wasn't telling, he wasn't lying to them. So your eyes will be open. You see, like he's very smart. When he comes in operation in Canada, you will not know he's the one. The only thing that will help you is a commitment to God that is dogged. And it's only God that can show you that thing. It's only God. I told them when I was young, I finished school. First thing God. I got a job, you said, United States Agency for International Development. And God said, you're not taking that job. I need to deepen your roots in God first. What made me follow God is because my eyes had been opened to an extent. Because nobody's eyes is fully open. You'll be opening until you, until you get to heaven. He made me see the value in this thing. There is value. You will look stupid to everybody, but there is value. Today, none of my mates can stand by God's grace. Where? Say that you said, God still told me, I still gave me an opportunity to speak at the United Nations. You said it's one of the, um, what, what do you have to One of the whatever under United Nations. So now I'm not working. And I've even, I went to do consulting for you. Say, they invited me to consult for them. And then this time they were now telling me, how many days would it take you to do this thing? How much do you want? You know, if I'm taking the job in you say, they would have paid me salary. This one, they were asking me that, how much do you want to be paid? Then I didn't know anything. So I told them it's $500 a day. Eh? If it's like now. (laughs) If it's like now. And they say, how many days will it take you to do this work? One small work. I tell them it's 10 days. If it's like now. If it's like now. Eh? I tell them it's one year. Then, then every day it's $10,000. If they don't want, they should go. I'm not begging them for their job. So then I didn't have sense. I was blind. So I told, I told them it's $500 a day. I'm sure they were looking at me. Yeah, you're really blind. 
But you see, that same thing that I gave up, God brought it back a hundredfold. And even more, and more, and more, and more, and more. There's value in a walk with God. There's value in righteousness. That's why he said, let the righteous rejoice. He says, say to the righteous, it is well. He didn't say, say to everybody. And everybody's quoting it. Eh -eh. There's value in righteousness. Look at Abraham. God told him, walk before me and be blameless. You know what? He did. Guess what God said? Do you know at the end of the day, I studied Abraham. I was amazed. Do you know the three most populous religions call Abraham father? Christians, Muslims, and who? Jews. If you combine Christians, Muslims, and Jews together, you have 90% of the whole world. They all call one man father. Why? He walked before God. But guess what I found out? When God, first of all, came to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I will be your exceeding great reward. Abraham said, what will you give me seeing I go childless? In other words, what is important to me is a child, not you. God is saying, I will be your reward. Go and check in Genesis 15. Abraham said, what would you give me seeing I go childless? As in, your presence means nothing until you give me a child. God said, really? All right, we'll have this conversation again. And then 22, God came again and said, give me your child, the one you love. It's the same test. If I had about to say God came to test Abraham, that would be in your Genesis 22. God came to test Abraham, give me that child. You know why Abraham didn't argue? The first time he argued, his life was empty because God now gave him that child. But he saw the child didn't satisfy the longing in him. There was still an emptiness. And we say, Lord, you're all that I want. Take everything but leave your presence with me. And so God comes again in Genesis 22. Say, give me your child, the one you love. Abraham did not argue. Sharp. The next day he went to sacrifice. Why? He had seen. Even if you give me everything in this world, it still doesn't equate to you. He willingly left the child there. There's something about seeing value in God. We're going to pray, God, please. I have not seen the value in this thing. That's why you are playing with your work with God. That is why you are lukewarm. Do you know what it means for the healing anointing to rest on a man? How good is Benihin's English? How handsome is Benihin? It's just one gift. The healing anointing released. Look at the seven spirits of God. These men that walk with God. Sometimes only one eye that was open. When I mean one eye, one of the seven spirits. Because if you read your Bible in Revelation chapter 5, the Bible said that these seven spirits are the eyes of the Lord. Seven eyes of the Lord. For many of them is one eye. There's a spirit of the Lord. That's one that is upon, upon um, what's name, Samson. The spirit of might. The spirit of counsel. You have advice from God. Imagine if you're praising spirit of counsel, just that one alone. So every day God is advising you the value of a work with God. We haven't seen this thing. Let me tell you what a good preacher does. A good preacher functions in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8. He shows you the value in the kingdom. That's what we're anointed to do. Show me the value in the kingdom. We are competing with Satan who shows you in the value of mundane things. So God said, I hate that manner. Men who are profane. Look at what Jacob, Esau, lost. He lost his birthright. The Bible said that Esau despised his birthright. He said, I prefer food 
So this is what we do. God says, come apart, take two days and wait on me. Take two days and wait on me. Say, no, I have work to do. You despise your birthright. Abraham didn't, um, what's his name? Esau didn't understand. Today, it would have been the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Esau. But that would never be because a man was profane. Do you know how many things God has planned for you? But it will never be because you are despising your birthright. You are despising your work with God. You are despising time to sit down and study. Do you know what will happen to you if ordinary favor, just one of gifts, just favor on your life, just favor alone, uncommon favor, if that one happens to you, do you know the value? What can they offer you in this world? One day of God's favor is heavier than a thousand days of labor. The Israelite had labored for 430 years. One day God said, I am going to pay you back. Open your mouth, declare whatever it is you want. These Egyptians are going to do. They began to discuss. They began to tell them. And God began to do what he needed to do. Everything they asked for, they got. Have you seen the value in this kingdom? If you have not, it gets to a point. Is that Anita? The one that was asking me a question yesterday. You asked me a question yesterday. I couldn't answer because of time. And I didn't want to go there. Let me I'll tell you what you asked me. With your four children, how are you able to have all of this? And still have a walk with God. So I answered it casually because I didn't want to go into details. I'll tell you. Why do I have, how am I managing four kids with a tight itinerary? The day I preached here, I had to rush and go and hold another session all night because it was Nigerian time. So I'm here, I'm walking in Nigeria, I'm walking in the UK, I'm doing all of that. I've done a devotional now for 10 years. Every single day, non-stop, Monday to Friday. According to Google, Google Analysis, of course, the first time they gave me the analysis, I thought they were lying. Because they say you are in 177 nations, Google. That is those who download from our website. And I know we do more work on WhatsApp than on the website. So, but Google Analysis tells us we're in 177 nations. So people from 177 download every day. Now, but I've done that thing Monday to Friday. Sometimes I am so tired. I'm like, Lord, one more step. One more, help me. One more step. I am tired, but something overrides that tiredness, and I still do that. Sometimes I'm tired, but I still bend down to pray. Sometimes I'm tired, but I still win soul. Sometimes I'm tired, but I still counsel. Why? Simple. I've seen value. I've seen value in this thing. There is value in this thing. There's something called the hand of God. Do you know the value of the hand of God upon a man? That when you speak, I don't know whether I was you or whoever, and I've heard that a lot. He said when they finished listening to me talk, he said the tape was replaying in their head for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks away. Paul, the Bible said when Peter finished preaching, the hearts of men were burning. Is it school that gave me that thing? They said when Jesus was preaching, they, he said, didn't our hearts burn within us? They, 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 the anointing on Peter's life is the anointing to make men change their mind. How do I know? Listen to what the men said. The men said something. They said, what shall we, or what should we do? Do you remember? He said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What does that mean? It means they already had the direction. They already knew what they wanted to do before they came to that place. But the moment they listened to Peter, they said, Peter, what shall we do? Give us direction. Nations are looking for how to get people to do a certain thing. One man spoke and men, 3,000 men said, what shall we do? Give us direction. 
One man had the capacity to pass. He preached one message. 3,000 gave their lives to Christ. Something was on Peter. He got it after 10 days. He saw the value. But Jesus spoke to 500 men. He said, wait in the upper room. 380 did not see the value they left. 120 men stayed because they saw the value. Peter for once said, where am I going to without the presence of God? Where? I can't go and do anything. I'm going to wait until you come on me. I'm going to wait until you rest on me. I see value. I'm able to continue pushing and pressing because I've seen value in this thing. I've met armed robbers three times. Their bullets could not fire. There's value in this thing. If I didn't have a walk with God, I'd be dead. There's one, one, one road like this in, in Lagos. It was a bit of a pothole. And I saw the man. The man saw me. He was pointing a gun. We're driving. Ah, which one will I say? Which one will I leave behind? <laughs> he was armed robbers. He pointed. You know how the car slows down? So the robber was there. He came, jumped out of the road because we had to slow down. He was pointing. The driver continued moving. Me, I was confused. I said, am I blind? I looked back. I saw the man still transfixed with the gun. It was when we passed. He now did like this and turned and started firing at the bus behind us. There is value in this thing. There was a day, I give this testimony a lot. There was a day, I'll end with this testimony. We're traveling, my brother, we're four, my mom, my brother, the driver, and myself. We're going to the east. And then we got to a point in the road. There was um, a tree that blocked the road. We thought it was just because of the rain. We didn't know that it ha um, was thieves. They put the tree across the road. So when we bypassed the tree, then we noticed a car following us. They were following us behind, following us behind. So we now say, ah, these people, they are robbers. When we increase speed, they will increase speed. When we slow down, they will slow down. And then... They now passed us. They jumped out with guns. Okay, we're going to shoot. We're going to kill you. Come down. There, there. And then the driver said, whatever enters your uh, Sorry. The driver turned to me. And I told him, whatever enters your mind, do it now. Because God is in control. The driver started the car and he took off. I was like, um, that's not really what I meant. But. <laughs> so the driver started speeding and speeding. The robbers ran to their car and they started the chase. Now, first thing that occurred to me, I was like, wait, you know those movies, how does it usually end? <laughs> this is all nice being chased by robbers. And then I looked and I saw my brother. He was the one that doesn't go to church. He was shouting, Jesus, Jesus. He was doing his hand like this, Jesus, Jesus. I said, eh? My mom, hey, my God. She was moving in. She was hiding it in the car. In my mind, I'm like, if they catch us, Shebi is not this car. They will find this. What are people all doing? So at the point, I said, better be serious. This is serious. I said, okay, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Nothing was happening. Okay? So I said, then I looked back. I saw that the robbers had gained speed. And in the next 30 seconds, they will open fire. And if they open fire, we will survive this thing. I said, Lord, we're calling your name. And then I heard from inside me. He said, whenever you call my name, my presence is there. Issue a command. My angels have been waiting. Stop calling me. I am there. My angels are there. Open your mouth. Issue a command. Now. I said, oh my God. Now let the tire puncture. Let the driver go blind. Let the petrol down scatter. Immediately. Hey, the car began to somersault. Enter the forest. Not a scratch on my body. Not on my mom. No, but those robbers died. 
How there is value in a walk with God. Can we pray? Show me the value in this thing, oh God. Show me the value. I've not seen the value in the kingdom. That's why I'm playing with my walk with you, oh God. Show me the value in this thing. We hope you were blessed by that teaching. For further inquiries, please visit our website, www.rccgppp.org. You can also check us on Facebook and on YouTube at rccgpppsk, on Instagram and Twitter at rccgppp. If you are within the city of Regina, Canada, you can join us in person at 1771 Bond Street, S4N, 1X7 for a refreshing time in God's presence.